Our general subject is the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. In the first message, we saw that the word of Christ is the embodiment of the all-inclusive, extensive Christ. The word of Christ is the word spoken by Christ directly and also through the members of his body. And therefore, it includes the entire New Testament. And the word of Christ is Christ himself as a person. For the word to dwell in us, to make home in us, means a person. Christ himself is looking for the opportunity, even now, to settle down in our being and build a home in us. In the second message, we saw that we need to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly for the new man. And richly implies first that there's a full opening, a freeway in us, voluntarily given for Christ as the word to make his home in us. And regarding this, the little word let, we have repeatedly emphasized, is crucial. Because this shows the active participation of the human will, not as a power, but as a human faculty used to make decisions and to give consent. The Lord will not force himself upon us. He will not coerce or control or manipulate. He is waiting for our consent. That's not a great work. That is a human exercise. Like a woman responding to a marriage proposal. No doubt love is involved and excitement and who knows what. But when I was in that situation, I'm just waiting for the words of decision. Not I want, not I feel peaceful. But yes, I will. And God's goal for us in letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly is that this word would minister the riches of Christ into our being, making our heart a treasury full of the indescribable, unlimited, immeasurable, unsearchable riches of Christ. They're so rich, we don't even know what's there. It's when we function in announcing the gospel, when we care for others, when we minister the word, as we all can do, because we're all doing the work of the ministry. Then we discover, wow, the Lord has been ministering himself into my being. And this is for not the producing of the new man, that's actually a work of Christ himself on the cross, 
but for the growth, the perfecting, the building up, the practical functioning of a corporate person called the new man. And this corporate person will fulfill Genesis 1.26 by expressing God. Notice Colossians 3.10 says that the new man is renewed unto full knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So the new man is new, but we are not. When Christ as the new man came into our spirit, our spirit became new, a new spirit. But the rest of us is part of the old creation, which it's hard for the young men to believe is decaying and it will disintegrate and it will come to naught. There is no immortality in the old creation. But our life is one of being renewed day by day. Our outer man is being consumed, no doubt about it. But our inner man is being renewed day by day. So don't you have the sense, many of you, that you're newer right now than you were at 8 o'clock this morning? Because today was a renewing day. And you're being renewed unto the full knowledge of God and his purpose according to the image. So we are transformed into the same image, conformed to this image, so that we would all express the Christ who, as the word, is making his home in us. Where the image is, authority to represent God is also. It's very sad that Christians have misused Brother Nee's book on authority and submission. Very often to make themselves a deputy authority commanding submission from others. This is representation without expression. And uh, that, that is quite ugly. To have to be under that, someone exercising authority, yet full of self-expression, even the expression of God's enemy. So we are being transformed into the same image. We're being renewed into this image so that all of us would express Christ. But you and and I, as personal vessels, cannot express the Lord in full. For this, we need a multitude of believers who are in the oneness of the Spirit, which is the oneness of the body of Christ, who are in one accord, who live in oneness, and now a corporate image emerges. You see different aspects of Christ in individual members because you need to realize you have a portion of Christ that no one else has in the whole universe. That's measured out to you. And you receive that portion through your own exercise before the Lord. We can only receive it through you. When you function, then the Christ that is in you flows out and we get to participate of your particular portion. 
Okay, this is true of every member. Uh, weren't you touched by the young man? I think he was backed by his father this morning who prophesied. I think you know who I mean. I was so touched. I was so ministered to by this dear member of the body. So thankful that he would come forward and speak something. Isn't that precious? Well, this is what the Lord wants. He wants a situation where we are all allowing the word of Christ to dwell in us richly, to enrich us by having a free way in us. And this is for the new man to be God's expression and God's representative with his authority. And during this age, this perfected new man will carry out God's purpose and will be the instrument to bring in the kingdom. But when the Lord comes, the new man, this is divine thinking, will be presented to the bridegroom, not as a man, but as the bride. The preparation of the body consi- of, of the bride consists in the building up of the body and the development and function of the new man. And in this new man, although we are outwardly diverse by God's creation, humanly, all intrinsic differences are nullified, and Christ is the intrinsic content of every one of us. This is Colossians 3, 10 and 11. Christ is all, yet he's in all. If Paul only said, is all, it appears that we're no more. But Christ is all, meaning he is everything, every positive thing, every divine attribute, every human virtue. But he is in all. That means we are still here as the ones containing him. Central to all of this is the simple letting. And it's much sweeter, even the sweetest, when this is a letting in love and in faith. Uh, The Lord knows that actually... There will be degrees of letting. You may settle it in principle, Lord. I have decided to give you access to my whole being. I have decided to let you dwell in me as the word. And based upon this opening of the door of your being, the Lord moves. But we don't know what's in us. We don't know ourselves. We don't know how touchy we are, how protected we are. And when the Lord moves into certain parts, we have a reaction. Um, We've all heard people say, you hurt my feelings. I never heard someone say, you hurt my mind. That really hurt my mind. That hurt my thinking. Or that hurt my will. It's the feelings. Well, this is the most delicate area. And the Lord, because he's love and because of the kind of person he is, even when we let him, he will not like be a bulldozer and come into our being. He knows this is delicate. 
we are fragile human vessels. And some of the feelings are tender. Some of them are explosive. And he doesn't want to detonate a landmine in our being and cause an implosion. I, one of the things I admire about him as the shepherd and overseer of our souls is his skill in caring for us. Uh, he is very skilled from the point of view of the masterpiece. He's an artist producing a masterpiece. He's a surgeon as the physician. He's the shepherd. He's the overseer. As the overseer of our soul, he is in our spirit, looking over us, not spying on us for a kind of cosmic KGB. He's not doing that. He's overseeing us to know our inward condition at any time so he can shepherd us. This word is all-inclusive. When he comes in, he's the shepherd. When he comes in, he's the physician. When he comes in, he is the artist composing this poema, this masterpiece. And his ability gradually to gain our being is quite marvelous. He's also Joshua, realizing we've got Nephilim in our being, that our, our, our soul got contaminated and mixed with something quite evil to produce an abnormal self. So we need a Joshua who is in us with the sword, able to clear the way, to possess our being. He's really quite wonderful. Our Christ in operation, in his organic salvation as the Savior. He is really quite wonderful. And the more we know him by allowing him to work in us, then to whatever extent he intends, he will duplicate in us this capacity to care for people. Then we will be brought into a situation where in practicality, no need will be unmet in the body of Christ. Even if your church is so small, and because of the smallness, there are advantages and disadvantages to little places. But you're not imprisoned in your, your locality. You're in a universal fellowship. You have the resources of the entire body of Christ at your disposal. So this work is going on all the time. And while it's going on, the Lord is overseeing from the heavens. He is ministering. He is interceding. He is administrating. It's quite a marvelous work that he's doing. Now we need to make a turn in the message tonight. And in the first part, we will consider deliberately out of sequence the necessary condition in us for the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. And what I mean by necessary condition is Something that must be present. Otherwise, even if you let, it can't happen. Our letting cannot make something happen. It opens the way for something to happen. 
But we need to be personally and corporately in a certain inward condition. Uh, living in this condition. And when that condition is present, then the word of Christ comes. When this condition is not present in an individual, the word of Christ cannot come freely. If it's not present in a church or present in an area of churches, there is no way for the ministered word to come forth. And this condition is the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ arbitrating in our hearts. We need a, a comprehensive view of the peace of Christ so that we can understand why Paul says, let the peace of Christ arbitrate in your hearts to which peace you were called in one body. So the peace we're talking about here is not some kind of private peace that may or may not be genuine. If you say, well, I just have the peace to spend a weekend and to spend $10,000 at Caesar's Palace. I have the peace. Well, how can I how can I, what am I supposed to say? What are we supposed to say? You don't have the peace? You're talking about your inward state, especially if that's a sister. Don't try to argue with a sister about her subjective state. Don't, don't, don't go there. Um, but our spirit will, will be uncomfortable. Well, that is a self-made peace. That is a peace you have fabricated. The Lord says in John 16, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. You know, the world can give you a certain kind of peace. I mean, how many beauty contests, you know? I want world peace. I mean, it's a joke. World peace. So what is the peace of Christ? That is in the body. To which peace we have been called? Well, for to see this, we need Ephesians chapter 2, then Ephesians chapter 4, then we can come to Colossians 3 by way of Colossians 1. And notice three things in the verses that I'll read to you from Ephesians 2, giving you a heads up. Peace is Christ himself. He is peace. Second, Christ made peace. Peace had to be made because of the extent of the enmity among human beings. And then he brought peace by announcing peace as the gospel. So Ephesians 2.14 For he himself is our Peace. Okay, this is the body. Paul didn't say my peace. Your singular peace. Our peace. He who has made both one. That's the Jews and the Gentiles. And has broken down 
the, whittle, the middle wall of partition, the enmity. Well, if there's to be peace, something has to be broken down. Things have been built up between cultures, between races, between genders. That, that's the primal enmity. Between generations, between social classes. Walls, middle walls of partition. Even Robert Frost, I remember from high school, has a poem about mending wall and the irony about good walls make good neighbors, right? If you want, want to be at peace with your neighbor, build a stone wall and mend it every spring. And this middle, middle wall of partition is called the enmity. Abolishing in his flesh the law of the commandments and ordinances that he might create the two, the Jews and the Gentiles, in himself, into one new man, so making peace. He is peace. But he had to make peace by tearing down the middle wall of partition. We should be those in whose inner being there is no middle wall of partition. Separating us from any category of persons on the earth, anywhere, anywhere. And this middle wall of partition is called the enmity. I do believe, as you all believe, that before the Lord Jesus comes back, he will reestablish the church in Jerusalem. And what I hope that church will be on its human side is not merely a group of Israelis or Jews who made their Aliyah. But there will be Arabs. There will be Palestinians. There will be all manner of persons. Wouldn't that be lovely? Breaking bread together in Jerusalem. Wouldn't that be a shame to the enemy? What a glory to the Lord. The, the enemy is subtle. He Judaized the first church in Jerusalem. And, and basically their view was, okay, you Gentiles, you don't have to keep the law of Moses. Da, 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 da. Paul, you come here. Huh? We, you need to show that you yourself walk orderly, keeping the law. So God destroyed the church in Jerusalem. Not only Jerusalem. Surely, we should realize the enemy may say, okay, you can have a church in Jerusalem. A Jewish church. And in my last visit to Israel, this came out in the fellowship. It's not easy to resist the Judaizing element in the atmosphere there. But in your spirit, don't you, can't you sense the beauty of this? Wouldn't you like to see the live webcast of that meeting? And here are a group of people with whom it's impossible humanly to be one. 
And they are one new man, breaking the bread to remember the Lord in peace. But in order to do this, the Lord abolished the law of commandments in ordinances. All the ordinances have to be abolished. Then he creates the two in himself, one new man. The result of all this work is he has made peace, not primarily between us and God, but between us and one another, in Christ who is our peace. And might reconcile both the Jews and the Gentiles in one body to God through the cross, having slain the enmity by it, and coming he announced peace as the gospel. Well, the he is Christ. And this coming must be as the spirit in resurrection. It can't be the second coming. That will not be the time to announce the gospel of peace. That will be over by the end of the age. The angel will announce the eternal gospel to the people on the earth. So he came and announced peace as the gospel to you who were far off. That's the Gentiles. And peace to those who were near. Okay, this is Christ as peace. How wonderful to see him, to know him. Lord, you are peace itself. How precious to pray simple prayers and apply him as the peace offering. I didn't point this out. There wasn't an occasion to with the age group that met this afternoon, the, the adults that are younger. But, oh, in married life, in family life, I've had need to offer a lot of peace offerings. Meal offerings and peace offerings. O oh Lord, restore the peace. We need to see that peace is a person. And this person who is peace carried out a tremendous work of destruction and creation to make peace among the diverse human beings on the earth. We appreciate that aspect of Christ's work on the cross that evangelical believers preach. But I don't know of anyone not in the line of the Lord's recovery who proclaims this gospel of peace. Who would go to the Middle East and proclaim peace as the gospel? Not just peace between you and God, peace between Arabs and Jews, peace between Iranian believers and believers elsewhere. <clears throat> so this is the process. He is peace, he made peace, and announced peace. Now let me check your memory of the Gospels. This happened twice if I recall correctly. When the resurrected Christ first appeared to the disciples 
What was the first word out of his mouth? It was peace. Peace. Peace means that we are one with the triune God in the body of Christ. Now this peace revealed in Ephesians 2 is mentioned again in Ephesians 4, verse 3. Being diligent to keep the oneness of the Spirit in the uniting bond of peace. I'd like to read the note on bond of peace. Christ abolished on the cross all the differences that were due to ordinances. In so doing, he made peace for his body. This peace should bind all the believers together and should thus become the uniting bond. The uniting bond of peace is the issue of the working of the cross. When we remain on the cross, we have peace with others. This peace becomes the uniting bond in which we keep the oneness of the Spirit. I sense I need to uh, add something now uh, to take away any opportunity uh, the enemy may have to play with our mind. The Lord is peace. He made peace. He brought peace. Now we need to keep the oneness of the Spirit in the uniting bond of peace. And this requires that we experience the cross, which makes effective the peacemaking death of Christ. And then peace becomes a bond. Okay, this is the reality. Paul was very experienced and very practical. So when he was writing the book of Romans and he came to the body life in chapter 12 and was describing the divine human virtues of the God-men, he said this, it's in chapter 12 somewhere, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with all. I'm so thankful for this. Because in actuality, some people don't want to be in peace. They have no intention of making peace. And they're not reasonable. And we should not be held hostage to that. There is this expression, as far as it depends on you. So before we come to the Lord's table, or really any other gathering, in our fellowship with the Lord, we can check with him. As far as it depends on me, am I at peace? You don't have to analyze. The Lord knows. And a normal situation is, I'm at peace with all the members. This brother, brother so-and-so, there might be a misunderstanding, a perception. He has an issue. He has a problem. He's not at peace with me. 
But we can say sincerely, I'm not responsible for his situation. I'm responsible for my situation. If I need to repent, if I need to apologize, that's, that's my responsibility. So there is this limit. Because the enemy can stir up any one of us just to not be reasonable, just to not want, you know, the reason couples fight is basically because they enjoy it, you know. It has some cathartic purpose or something, you know. You can stop it at will, you know. But this has to be the situation. The reason I mention it now is that I don't want anyone to be attacked by the enemy without any basis. You see, you're... You can't let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This person has a problem. No. You should be able to say the Lord to the Lord who is peace himself. Lord, I have no problem. I have no feeling of offense. I have no feeling of distance. There is no wall in my heart. But that's all I can do. And the Lord realizes, I know. Be at peace. Then the peace is the uniting bond typified by the crossing boards in the tabernacle uniting us. This produces an atmosphere which is instantly discernible in a home, in a church, in a relationship. I, I, I don't go into a home spying. I don't have like and Tenny, no, we're just simply dwelling with the saints. But peace, or the absence of peace, is not something you can disguise. It's just there in the atmosphere. Now we're approaching Colossians 3, but we need to stop at 120. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. This is a cost. For the Lord, the, con the context here is the reconciling to God and being reconciled to one another in Christ. And this is not something God could just decree. This required the death of his son as the peace offering. It required the blood of the cross. That's why it's so precious on the positive side. It's such a loss on the negative side because that is a practical disregarding of the effectiveness of Christ's death which cost him his blood. So this is the peace to which we have been called in Colossians 3.15. This is the peace of Christ in the one body. In 1989, a certain person in Anaheim publicly resigned from his eldership, which he's free to do. 
But he didn't simply resign. He gave a speech. And in that speech, fired many bullets at Brother Lee. It was so clear. It was covert. It was subtle. It was indirect. Clothed in piety, as I'll now illustrate. Then when he was done, he said this. I am at peace with the Lord. I'm at peace with myself. And I'm at peace with all of you. Well, as far as peace between him and the Lord, that's between him and the Lord. Peace with himself, that's between him and himself. But you have insulted the body. You have brought discord into the body. You have reviled the faithful servant of the Lord. We are not at peace with you. Whatever peace you have is not the peace of the body. And as we were required by the Lord to do, when Brother Kerry and I wrote something, we pointed this out. And we quoted Brother Watchman Nee in his messages on spiritual reality and obsession. And he says, to breach, that is to break the truth, and claim to be at peace. That is obsession. That is a counterfeit peace. And to this day, more than 22 years later, it remains unsolved. That the body has its consciousness. The body has its own sense, its own feeling. That's just a reality. And when someone behaves like this, the body has a feeling. It's not human criticism. It's not opinion. It's a life reaction. If this person would walk in here, there would be a strong reaction in the mingled spirit. What are you doing? Are you here to clear something up? Then this is not the way to do it. Peace is a body matter. Peace is in the body. And this is the peace that is arbitrating in our hearts. I hope this is somewhat clear. And it might be profitable if you have the leading, if you have the time to pray, read, or muse upon the verses I presented to you on peace. This is not a trivial thing some kind of psychological state. Oh, I'm just at peace for whatever reason. No, this peace is Christ himself who made peace through the blood of his cross, who tore down the middle wall of partition, who slew the enmity, who created the new man, and who announced peace to us. Now, one step further, he is the peace of God, and even more, He is the God of peace in us. One of his names, we know from Isaiah, is Prince of Peace. And the prophecy says of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. The kingdom of God is peace. 
The main way the Lord rules in us is as peace. He decides matters, he umpires by peace. He resolves conflicts, whether they're inward or whether they're inward because they're outward, by peace. And eventually, we must obey the peace, but we have to let it. Here's another let. Let the peace of Christ arbitrate in you. This means, or at least this involves, the Lord subduing everything in us which is contrary to himself as peace. That involves the subduing of a lot of inward conversations that we can have with ourselves or we can have in our mind to other people. The emails that never got emailed or that should not have been, should not have collect send on that one. Okay. Um, feelings. Unrest. Conflict. In our being. We need to realize the normal inward condition of a Christian is one of tranquility, calm, and peace. The Lord has ordained that in the midst of this hectic human life, we live a life of peace and tranquility and calm. Even if you're in a boat with a group of young men at night, and it's a storm, and the waves are overflowing into the boat, you just lie in the back and sleep. But contrast peace, that is the Lord himself, with the disciples. They wake him up, and at least one account says, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? How about that for a short prayer? Don't you care? Now may I ask you, as one who's the same as you, have you ever prayed a don't you care prayer to the Lord? Not even a little bit, not even this much, one time. Lord, Lord, I have been praying about this offspring of mine for all these years. So many other saints are praying. Don't you care? I mean, look, look, if I were the one, I wouldn't keep silent like for 20 years. I, I would... I would give some indication that I'm I'm active here. Don't you care? And so the the Lord woke up and he rebuked the storm and there was calm. And then he rebuked the disciples (laughs) for their little faith. Okay, We just have to be where we are until we're somewhere else. 
So let's admit, we're the disciples in the boat praying the don't you care prayers. Believing more in the storm than in the person who's in the boat sleeping. But eventually, faith will rise up. And somewhere in the book on the kingdom, Brother Lee defines faith as realizing who Jesus is. Faith is realizing who Jesus is. And he is really at peace in the midst of this storm. He knows it is not the will of God for him to drown. He will die on the cross. This is not the time for him to go. And so he's, he's there. The Lord wants to spread in us to pacify us, that is, to spread peace in our whole being. This doesn't mean we become stones, we're unmovable in our humanity, no. It just means we're not living by an agitated, anxious, worrisome, natural life. So actually, the normal Christian life is rather uneventful most of the time. We live a life of ordinary days, Doing much of the same things. I, I'm pretty sure I will shave again tomorrow. I don't want to show up in the meeting with stubble. That is not, that is not fitting. And we have peace. Whenever there is disagreement, the peace comes in to arbitrate. And we need to let it Okay, this is binding arbitration. We need to let the peace determine and indicate, all right? If you go in that direction, no peace. You go in this direction, you have peace. And if you go opposite to this, you will really, really, be in a state of unrest. Eventually, you won't be able to do it. You can't bear it. Your inner being won't let you bear it. You have to stop doing that, watching that, saying that. Then you go in this direction, and the more you move in that direction, the more the peace is flowing like a river. The Lord wants us to live here like all the time, forever and ever. Amen. So now let's read through the outline. The peace of Christ, the functions of the indwelling word of Christ, and Christ exercising his unique headship through the word. In order for the word of Christ to dwell in us richly, we need to allow the peace of Christ to arbitrate in our hearts. I realize this illustration is somewhat in the human realm. But the principle has helped me. Maybe it was around 1965. I met an elderly minister and his wife. They're probably in their early 80s. And they were testifying about family life. They had a number of children. And how they handled problems. Especially discord and disobedience. Okay, I'm not teaching child care. I'm illustrating a point. 
they would come to the child in question and just say, okay, please go to your room now and be quiet and pay attention to your inner being. And time after time, the child would come out and say, I'm sorry, you accused so-and-so of taking a piece of cake, that, new, that fresh cake. I did it. I, I can't let this, this other one be blamed. I ate the cake. This, I believe, although it's in a human realm, makes the point. There's a government in us. There's a king, a ruler. His name is Peace. And we should let him arbitrate in our hearts. So this is mind, will, and emotion arbitration. This is inward parts arbitration. Don't rebel against the peace of Christ. You'll be the first to suffer, and you'll suffer the most. How long, how long will you not let? Just say, okay. Sometimes it's all you say is, okay. It's really not a spiritual prayer. Okay, you win. Okay, all right, enough already. Okay, Lord, I really want you to arbitrate. The Greek term for arbitrate can also be rendered umpire. The umpire, you could, he may have this view. It's what I call him. It's not, a, it's not a ball, it's not a strike until I call it. You may have your view, <clears throat> but the very fact of having an umpire is a strike is when I call a strike, a ball is when I call a ball. If he slides in safe, he scores. If not, he's tagged. Well, this umpire is outside the realm of right and wrong. He, he, he goes by the tree of life, not by the tree of knowledge. And he decides. This is an act of administration. Also means to preside. Listen, or to be enthroned as a ruler and decider of everything. I mean, okay, everything. If we allow the peace of Christ to arbitrate in our hearts, this peace will settle all the disputes among us. If you think there are never any disputes in a genuine local church, please read 1 Corinthians. <laughs> that is the church of God, which is at Corinth. These are called saints, and they are not doing well. That's why I say again, we're not idealists looking for the perfect utopian church where no one would, would ever, would ever have a dispute. No one would ever be upset. Well, then you're just setting yourself up for unnecessary stumbling. There may be disputes. 
But if we allow the peace of Christ to arbitrate, this peace will settle all the disputes among us. We shall have peace with God vertically and with the saints horizontally. Through the arbitration of the peace of Christ, our problems are solved. And the friction between the saints disappears. Have you ever felt friction? Have you ever felt friction in a prayer meeting? One time in shepherding, the Lord opened up the way. It was in a spirit of love. And it was for the sake of the church. And the sister was open for fellowship. And I prayed after the meeting, Lord, cause her to approach me for fellowship, which she did about something. And after she was done, I said, may I share something with you? Do you realize that in the prayer meeting, you prayed 48 times in a one-hour prayer meeting? And she didn't. There was no judgment there, but there was a mirror there. What was happening, you know, she's a quick person and she's intense in her emotion. And the more she prayed, the more friction there would be. And then the other sisters, they can't pray because now they're bothered. And this whole thing is inhibiting the flow of prayer to carry out God's governmental administration on the earth. And, and she received it because the spirit was pure and it was in a spirit of love and fellowship. And they just suggested there's no rule, but maybe just a few times and don't be so quick. On another occasion, because this sister was so fast, but we did this, we didn't name her, we just did this as an open matter, but in principle only. When you have the impulse to pray, first count to ten like this. One, two, and after you count it to ten, if you still feel to pray yet again, go ahead. Well, there can be friction. There can be friction in small groups between personalities. You don't experience friction with someone who's in Tasmania. It has to be someone who is in, in your sphere. But when there's the arbitration of the peace of Christ, the friction disappears. Okay, then the church life is preserved in sweetness. Okay, this is the word. Not just in oneness, in sweetness. This is what is really, really precious to see in married couples that have been in the Lord together for, who now it's past 50 years. You just sense the sweetness. Much sweeter than actually any young couple. You just can't have it because the cross hasn't worked that deeply in you. You haven't failed enough to be humbled. Right? You haven't offered enough sin offerings, trespass offerings, meal offerings, and peace offerings. And what, what a testimony. This again is atmosphere. You just come in, it's so sweet. 
I, I don't want to know anything. I don't want to hear anything. Oh, the sweetness, the fragrance. The arbitrating of the peace of Christ is Christ working within us to exercise his rule over us, to speak the last word. Hey, brothers, isn't it quite an exercise to let your wife have the last word? Isn't that a sign of sure defeat? (laughs) To not have something to say, even when you have nothing to say, it's just this last word matter. Well, the Lord will exercise his rule, and he speaks the last word and makes the final decision. Will you let peace do this? Okay, in, inside of you. you Like, do it all the time, forever and ever. Amen. This peace should bind all the believers together and become their uniting bond. When the peace of Christ arbitrates in us and keeps us in a situation full of oneness and harmony, we become the place of God speaking His oracle. Now, This opens the way for the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. When this peace is arbitrating in your hearts, then you become the place for the Lord's word. And that's all you have to do is live in peace as far as it depends on you. The other party may not be reasonable. I I know whereof I speak. Not remotely reasonable incorrigible, impossible. But if on our part we're exercised, we have the peace, and now the word comes. Believe me, as never before in you. The word comes to indwell in you as never before. It floods you, it saturates you. Briefly, soon we'll look at the functions God's speaking requires oneness. Division causes God's speaking to diminish, even to cease altogether, since oneness is necessary, a necessary condition for God's speaking. We need to let the peace of Christ arbitrate in our hearts. So we want this word to dwell in us richly, to enrich us with the all-inclusive Christ, for the new man. If I did not present this matter of peace, then by Thursday, many of us would be wiped out and we would be discouraged. We would send emails saying, it doesn't work, I'm letting, 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 and it didn't happen. Then I have to write back and say, I'm sorry, I I didn't mention the first let. (laughs) So I'm mentioning the first let, which opens the way for the second let. And we just live a life of these two lets. What a delightful, restful inner life is this. Now we come to the next section. If we allow the word of Christ to have the first place in us, we will experience the functions of the word of Christ operating within us, ministering the riches of Christ into our being. The word of God enlightens 
you know it's shining in you. And I believe you have learned. You may argue with truth presented objectively. There's no argument with light. Not even Saul of Tarsus could fight with light. So God didn't send some super genius to argue with him. Some even stronger character to try to subdue him. The Lord just said, Saul, here's a light brighter than the sun. With my word, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I am Jesus. That's it. It's so precious to be enlightened. The word of God nourishes. We can really tell the devil. I do not live by noodles alone. I say that because I went to this noodle place. I do not live by organic food alone. I live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The word waters us to quench our thirst. Maybe the last message of the summer training, which will be the first of two trainings on the Psalms. This is an unofficial announcement, but because you're near and you're dear, I tell you stuff like this. <laughs> we may go as far as Psalm 72. We'll see it. It's under construction now. And that's about the kingdom and about the Lord coming to rule. And there's a wonderful verse which says, He will come down as rain upon the mown grass, as showers that water the earth. And our brother, I need to honor my source, our brother in one of his books, he says the following, The Lord will judge righteously, as the book of Revelation reveals. But eventually he'll come down as rain because he knows the whole world is thirsty. And according to the picture in John 4, people sin because they're thirsty. Religious people, they can't properly preach the gospel to a Samaritan woman who's had five husbands and who's living with a man. Nothing new under the sun. Didn't start in the 60s. Way back in Samaria, they're doing the same thing. Nothing new under the sun. And he realized, you're thirsty. You're thirsty. And if we only look at surface expressions of unhappiness, let's just say in our spouse, we're the brother, there's the surface expressions. They're very, very real. But if we have a deeper view, we might realize, my wife's not satisfied. She's not satisfied. She needs to be satisfied. I need to supply her with the very thirst-quenching water that supplies me. I need to take care of her in a divine and human way because she's thirsty. The children of Israel were murmuring. God told Moses, speak to the rock. Moses 
meekest man on the earth, disobeyed God, rebelled against God. He was provoked. He smote the rock again and called them rebels, misrepresenting God. And God's point of view is they're not rebels. They're thirsty. That some inexperienced brothers, when they try to care for the church, they they just don't know what to do when, when, when there's murmuring and everything is a rebellion against their authority and they want to invoke the heavens to open them the earth so they will go live into Sheol with all of their possessions. I mean, it's just awful. There's rebellion and then there's what appears to be rebellion which is an expression of thirst. So give them something to drink. You know, haven't there been times when you've been, you're coming to the Lord now because there's nothing else you can do, even though you're not sure what he's going to do to you. He's going to get you. You really blew it this time. And you thought, well, I might as well come now. Otherwise, it'll come up at the day of judgment. So I'm coming to the Lord just as I am, but it's not with a positive expectation. And he waters you. He waters you. He refreshes you. He shines on you. He nourishes you. And the word does this. When the word dwells in us, it enlightens, nourishes, waters to quench our thirst. The word of God strengthens. They can even strengthen us physically. There are times we need physical strengthening to be able to stand and speak the word. It washes Oh, to be, just to be bathed in the word. Let the word wash you. It builds us up. The word of Christ completes, perfects, and edifies us by sanctifying us. This is just a partial list. And, you know, you know all you've got to do is have the two lets. And they do have to go in this order. You have to let the peace of Christ arbitrate first then you can let the word. But don't analyze. I mean, if you tomorrow you're, you're shaving and you said, oh Lord, I'll let the, the word of Christ dwell in me. I mean, don't beat yourself up because you, didn't, you had the second let before the first let. <laughs> Just being religious and legal again, causing, there's enough suffering in human life without causing more to ourselves because we're so, so, so religious. But, the condition is clear. We need peace. If the enemy brings in discord, it's not all over. We have a peace offering. We have Christ. Apply him. Enjoy him. I don't know how many peace offerings I had to offer, especially in one period. Constantly. Constantly. Peace offering, meal offering. Peace offering, meal offering. But as a result, the Lord turns all the mistakes into the gaining of Christ as, as the meal offering and the peace offering. So when I speak about it, allow me to say this. You know it's real. It's not a theory. Now the last section. In about seven or eight minutes and then lots of time for you to share. And how do you know if you're supposed to share? Just follow the peace of Christ. 
If you have the peace just to sit there, even though your heart is beating, your pulse is racing, uh, your cheeks are getting flushed, don't take these signs. These are not signs of inspiration. These are signs of resistance. (laughs) But it it would be wonderful if we'll, we'll have well more than 20 minutes, if we could just sit here and then one by one, the saints follow the peace. And they let the word of Christ dwell in them richly when they follow the peace. And then they come and they share something and we all enjoy their Christ. So let me read the last section, then we'll do this. Christ is the head of the body and he exercises his unique headship through the word. The head is a matter of authority. For Christ to be the head means that he has the authority in the body. Holding the head means that only Christ is the head. It is coming absolutely under his authority. The place of all the members is to hold the head and to acknowledge him as the unique and supreme authority in all things. Christ is the head of the body and life can flow freely to us only when he is in full control. To the body, to hold the head means that the body does not allow itself to be separated from the head. We need to realize every member of your physical body by the central nervous system is directly connected to the head. So the head can communicate directly now to my index finger to wave at you. Hiya, for some reason, My finger is directed to do this. The forearm shouldn't say, you are lower than I. You didn't get permission from me. I am bigger than you. And and the upper arm says, hey, forearm, you better pipe down. (laughs) You know, know, I'm I'm one strong bicep. That's hierarchy. That we all are directly related to the head. Of course, we live a life of fellowship. That's another matter. And the word is the head, and the head is the word, and he heads you up by being the word. The members of the body are fitted together and able to live the body life only through holding the head. All relationships in the body are through the head. I have no direct relationship with anyone in the Lord's recovery other than what is ordained in the family life. So I have a direct relationship with my wife because we're one flesh. But as members of the body, my relationship with her is indirect through the head. Because we're both under the head in the body. And I need to relate to her through the head. How I write to her, how I speak to her, what I express to her needs to come out through the head. For the body life, we must be under the head and take the head as our life. To have the body life, whatever we think, wow. Yes, our thinking affects the body life, or do, has to be under the control of Christ as the head. We should take him as the center of our being. And where we are now, and we expect, the Lord willing, to, to continue this tomorrow, is the issue of the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. What's the outcome? The first issue is all the functions. 
that are enumerated there. The second issue is the headship. The Lord is able to directly head us up. Then tomorrow we'll consider some others. So in order for the word of Christ to dwell in us richly, the peace of Christ must arbitrate in our hearts. Then the word will saturate our being. And as the word saturates our being, it will function in many ways simultaneously. As a result of these functions, we will all hold the head. There will be no abuse of authority. There will be no hierarchy. There will be no high and low. We will all be directly responsive to the head. Now, you are such a member in the body, and Christ is your head, and he is the peace arbitrating in your hearts, and he and only he has the right to direct the activity of the members. Now I honor him with you and I look to him with you that for the next 25 minutes or so, he would direct a good number of us to come to the microphone and speak and limit us to about a minute. Let's just see what will happen when we let the peace arbitrate, the word dwell, and, and the head administrate.